Hey everybody, I'm Pastor DJ and welcome to another episode of That Podcast. I am joined as always with Dana Mashevsky and special guests with us today we're excited to have are the Reverend Tom Olson, Global Worker for World Mission Prayer League and the Reverend Michael Anderson and Janine Anderson. Welcome guys. It's a really long, loud, they're an excited crowd, they're on their feet. <laughs> See, yeah. look at them right over there. That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Well, welcome. So happy that you guys could come in and join us. Um, kind of uh, uh, wanting to start with, um, Tom, if you would share a little bit about uh, what does it mean to be a global worker for World Mission Prayer League? And, uh, you know, full disclosure, you're a part of the Atonement family here. You're, you're on staff with us. What is your role? Yeah, thank you, uh, DJ, for asking. Uh, I w- my wife and I have been with the uh, Prayer League a couple years now, and uh, we officially took a call last July, a year ago, mm-hmm. actually, um, and uh, we were commissioned here at Atonement uh, in the spring, um, and uh, I should say we officially in in um, July of last year we became official candidates, preparing to go to Congo. Mm-hmm. We accept a call to go to Congo, and uh, as it turned out in God's timing, uh, Atonement was approached by a Congolese congregation here in Fargo, a uh, Pentecostal congregation, and. Uh, Pastor Paul called uh, Eunice and I when we were down at Wimple uh, last July, a year ago this week, and said, hey, could you help us uh, build a relationship with this Congolese congregation? They're called the Pentecostal Holiness Church of Grace. Beautiful people. And we came up in August uh, from Minneapolis and met the people, worshipped with them a couple times in their former building, and... uh, totally thinking we were going to head to Congo in October, but as things developed here, uh, Wimple saw the need of us accompanying atonement and this Congolese congregation here, but not forgetting about our work with the Indigenous Lutheran Church in Congo. So we have, uh, we're the first to have the hybrid call of being 50% in Congo and 50% in the United States. So you're, you're the guinea pigs. We are the guinea pigs. All right. And uh, it seems to be working out very well, and we're thankful for this opportunity to serve God and the Congolese people, both in North America and in Africa. Well, and a little bit more with that story, um, having been able to live in the midst of it, I mean, it really was a... I, I've mentioned this before. I don't believe in coincidences. I think uh, coincidences are just God choosing to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. And the way that you got partnered with Atonement, it's, it's a little bit... It's a little older history, like you used to attend Atonement Church. Yeah, uh, we were former um, missionaries with the um, ALC. I was ordained in the ALC and then uh, uh, served with the ELCA uh, from 1983 till 2000. Real quickly, for those of you who uh, are are not uh, fluent in Lutheran Uh alphabetical soup, the ALC (laughs) was known as the American Lutheran Church and was one of the three forerunners of the current Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or the ELCA. Right. And we came, we came back to the United States. God called us back in August of 2000, and we really didn't know what we were going to do, and we wound up in Fargo and uh, joined Atonement Lutheran, I think, in October or November of, of 2000, and 
and worshipped here until I took a call uh, with a three-point parish in Holly, Minnesota yeah. in the spring of uh, 2002. Wonderful. So about a year and a half we were members here. Yeah. Well, and then uh, a little bit more uh, contemporary with with uh, you and Eunice preparing for um, the, the excursion to Africa, uh, you received a phone call from Pastor Paul Cross here. Correct. And Paul and I go uh, back to uh, seminary days together. So that was... Um, 30-some years ago, <laughs> probably closer to 40. And uh, it was just wonderful to reconnect with him. Uh, and uh, we're going to miss him now that he's uh, moving on to retirement. But, well, uh, par- part of the reason that I highlight that is because from what I've been told, uh, uh, you and Eunice were asked by World Mission Prayer League to learn a very specific language in a, in a short amount of time. And there was a question about finding uh, <laughs> someone to teach you. Yeah, okay, you want the whole God story. It was amazing. We, we were down in Minneapolis uh, studying language acquisition method uh, called Growing Participator Approach Method, which is an excellent method. And they wanted us to um, study Lingala. Mm. And uh, the uh, gentleman teaching us this method said to me uh, and Eunice, it would be wonderful if you guys could have uh, 300 or 200 hours of Lingala study before you go. Sure. And how soon were you were you leaving at that we point? We were going to leave in October. Uh-huh. We were thinking of leaving in October. And and I started laughing, and I said, where are we going to find a Lingala speaker in right. Fargo, North Dakota? Right. <laughs> and the next afternoon. The you would guess Norwegian, call. maybe yeah. maybe Swedish, maybe German, but Lingala. Yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I, I mean, fortunately, uh, Pastor Silas walked in and this Congolese congregation yeah. asked to um, uh, lease space here, which they have, and it's a beautiful relationship. But they're from the eastern part of uh, Congo, and we are serving in the west. So their ling- lingua franca that they're speaking is Swahili. Okay. But God raised up there a woman who is absolutely fluent in Lingala. Oh, wow. So she began teaching us Lingala before we went to uh, Congo. It, Ab- was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. That's, oh, wow. Goosebumps uh, for, for God working in such things. Yeah. So, no, we're very excited to have this uh, partnership and, and uh, with the Church of Grace and also with World Mission Prayer League and, and uh, all the wonderful things that we're, you're doing. And having made one excursion so far, um, in your time to the Congo and coming back, it's been wonderful to hear about what God is doing uh, through um, World Mission Prayer League, but also in 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 the Congo and and how how the Holy Spirit's just doing yeah, amazing God's things. doing amazing things there because the church that we are serving in is literally an indigenous Lutheran church. It was never founded by missionaries. They've never had full time missionaries until. Uh, Three years ago, um, four years ago, when Didi and Serafina Ponzo, uh, global workers from Wimple, uh, began work there. And uh, we're the second couple uh, to work with this indigenous church. And they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're strong Lutherans, and uh, we just want to walk beside them and help them help themselves and, uh, 
and God is, is, is blessing the mission. Yeah, praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Well, also here with us today is the Reverend Michael Anderson and Janine Anderson, and uh, they're here to uh, share with us this uh, um, wonderful, um, oh, I don't even know how to call it. It's like a, it's like a college-level course called uh, Perspectives. So welcome. Uh, uh, Michael, uh, can you tell me a little bit about, about before we get into the Perspectives stuff, tell me a little bit about, about your, your faith story. Oh, where can we start? Let's see. I was born. <laughs> Excellent. That's a good start. That's a good start. Um, I was uh, uh, raised in Fargo. I was raised in the Lutheran Church. And through that uh, experience, I, in my own mind, I came to the point of saying, you know what? This isn't real. Mm. This is just a bunch of fake stuff. And so I walked my own way for a number of years. And then when I went into college... Um, I was able to meet a, uh, basically came face to face with the Lord as he continued to work and, and call and uh, Amen. called me to himself and said, hey, listen, that's enough. Stop running. I need you to come. <laughs> and so, uh, so surrendered my life to Christ. And within a few years of that really began feeling the, uh, as I described it, the nagging that began saying, I need you to do more. I need you to do more. And so at that time, uh, we were in transition between a couple of different churches. I finally uh, went through uh, ordination with the Free Methodist Church mm-hmm. and have been serving there since, uh, oh, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. We've taken, we've pastored here in Fargo as well as in uh, Iowa. We came back about ooh, 15 years ago, went through a couple of uh, crises, uh, health crises, as well as uh, having both parents pass away. And through that, really began to go through a healing process. And through that, really began feeling the call to not just minister to a church, but to minister to the church. Mm. And so that really Mm. launched us into uh, what became the organization Prayer Pursuits, which is I am now the founder of. And our goal there is really to work to gather together the body of Christ. Excellent. Uh, subsequent to that, I also became the president of the Evangelical Leadership Network, mm-hmm. which really works uh, extensively throughout the Fargo-Moorhead area, bringing the churches together for the purpose of unity and cooperation to present Christ to our community. Yeah. And so it's been a uh, it's been a wild ride. God has been very good, very gracious, and I am just. Uh, Excited to add one more thing into the stack and being able to deal with perspectives. So, so um, Janine, can I ask you uh, the same question? Tell us a little bit about, about your faith story. Well, I, too, grew up in a uh, Lutheran home. Uh, I was a member of Glory Day Lutheran out in Felton, Minnesota. And uh, Woo-hoo! My, yeah. <laughs> Near that Holly place. Yeah. And... Um, so I really uh, had a hunger for God as a as a child. My grandparents and you know whole family, both sides, you know, def- definitely Christian. And yet in high school, I also went through a, a little bit of a falling away and found myself living a civil war. Mm. And I was trying to please both the world and the Lord, and it was miserable. And mm-hmm. finally, in when I was in college, the Lord got a hold of me, and He was basically. The planted the thought, are you through? And I realized I hadn't given them the time of day. So I 
went back to him, gave him full opportunity to work through my life. And shortly after I was able to meet Mike and, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's been a whirlwind pretty much ever since. Well, yes. you're the best thing that ever happened <laughs> <laughs> after Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> He's been good for me too. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a God journey and we appreciate working with him and so grateful for our own salvation. Yeah. We want others to experience it too. Yeah, amen. You know, that reminds me of a, of a joke. It's a, you know, pretty much every denomination that has a confirmation process, it kind of goes like this. So the, the local church's basement, there was a discovery of, of all these rats down there. And so, so the church ladies called up the pastor and said, Pastor, we have all these rats over there. He says, no problem, I'll be right over. The pastor goes down into the basement. And what does he do? He confirms all the rats and they all leave. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that really is, there's, there's a truth to that in that um, there really is this great chasm that happens between uh, confirmation age, uh, 13, 14, and... Um, about the time that those kids start becoming parents. That's when we see a return. With young men, it's 15 to 35. That's considered the great chasm. We're better with young women where they, they stay connected till about 19, and then we don't see them again until 32. And so much of the strategies of churches is how to uh, bridge that chasm. And I think that uh, the ministries that, that, uh, that Tom and, and Michael and Janine are sharing um, can serve as catalysts as well as bridges to move across that great chasm um, because it, a couple of things are found. If there's more than one adult who disciples and mentors a youth who's not necessarily their parents in the church and gets them connected in some way to exercise their faith, it helps to move them through that, that great chasm. So praise God that the Holy Spirit said, no, nope, I'm not done with you two. I'm going to tackle you. <laughs> Um, and, and again, I want to ask again, uh, uh, again, I want, Ryan does this so much better than I do. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I love the fact, uh, uh, I, I was excited when I heard that, that, um, you have a connection with the free Methodist church. Cause that's, a, that's a, um, I, I don't even know if denomination is the right word. I think of it kind of like Lutheran congregations and mission for Christ. It's, it's, it's different than the United Methodist church. Um, and my full disclosure, my uncle is a retired United Methodist pastor, but my, my high school years was blessed by being connected with a free Methodist camp in um, Washington State on the Puget Sound called Warm Beach Christian Camp and Conference Center. And I was employed there year-round serving meals and then being able to connect with the camp um, through, through camp experiences during the summers. Um, just out of curiosity, because I, I never even had this answer to me really when I was there, because the United Methodists would go to the Free Methodist camp. What is there, if any, the, the, is it just the, the, the structure is the difference? I mean, because the belief, or what's the difference between Free Methodists and United Methodists? So the big difference comes down to slavery. Oh, okay, okay. So back in 1860, uh, the Methodist Episcopal Church North and Methodist Episcopal Church South were divided over the issue of slavery. Mm -hmm. And the South, of course, would not take a position against. The North took a position against. But there was many inside the church that did not feel that it was a, uh, a strong enough stance. Okay. And so they were sort of a splinter group that said, no, we need... So that's why they called themselves the Free Methodist Church, because sure. they first of all believed in human freedom. 
Sure. No human being should ever be held in slavery. Sure. Human beings are free. Second of all, worship is free. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't have any relevance to today. Mm-hmm. But if you know your United Methodist history, we would come to a town, you would establish a church, you would build the church, you would then have pews, and then you would rent the pews. Right. Mm, the right. rental okay. of the pews is what sustained the church. Yeah. If you were not a member, you didn't have a pew, they would set up orange crates or something in the back, and that's where the poor could sit. Yep. The Free Methodist Church said, no, worship is free. Oh, wow. You know, I, I one of the churches I served was in... Um, uh, near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And one of the first Lutheran synods, if you will, or groups was, was the Pennsylvania, um, I think it was called the ministerium. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the leaders there, um, Henry, uh, Melchior Muhlenberg had this little, it, w- it would have been a country church at that time, but this little church that, uh, became renowned. It was called St. Augusta because that was the church that George Washington would visit in order to make sure that the Germans would not um, make a, uh, alliances with the Redcoats because they would take care of the Prussian uh, mercenaries that were fighting on the side of, of Great Britain. And so when you would go in there, there was a pew that was known as George Washington's pew. But I asked about, you know, there's this big open area where there's no seating, but if you go up above, there's all of these... Uh, it's a, it's two levels. It's a small place. It's, it wasn't a whole lot bigger than maybe this room space, uh, you know, 30 feet by 20 feet. But then it was about 50 feet up. Maybe not that much, more like 30 feet up too. The whole upper level, the preacher would go up to the higher level to preach so everyone could hear them. But the entire upper level had uh, were basically family pews. So they would pay. They would basically give their offering to have their family area within that church. And it's interesting that you say that because the church I served in North Carolina was founded in 1830, and you could tell from the history of it, they weren't paying for pews then, but each family pretty much had its area. That at one point, in order to be seated there, um, the family basically rented the pews for the year. It's how they did their offerings. I thought thought it was just absolutely fascinating. And so the part of the, the movement of the Free Methodist Church was to do away with that practice, which I think pretty much has been done away everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can't right. think of any place that still still um, uh, covers the costs of having the church open that way. And so what you find is that the Free Methodist Church generally tends to be the um, very Wesleyan. Okay. So they tend to stick very close to um, uh, Wesleyan theology, their... Uh, their polity tends to be very close to what it originally was. So we tend to be the, uh, um, you know, I used to work with a United Methodist pastor here in town, and and uh, I said, well, you know, we did split off in 1860. Mm-hmm. He said, you were kicked out in 1860. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, with that being the case, being closer to John Wesley, I'm assuming the only hymns that are sung are the Charles Wesley hymns. Well, we'll sing a few others. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, if, if you go to any Lutheran church, you'd be surprised how Wesleyan Lutheran churches are with, we love Charles Wesley. <laughs> well, you know you know how you know a Methodist hymnal. How's that? Because of hymn number one. And hymn number one is? Will always be what we know as O Four A Thousand Tongues. O Four A Thousand Tongues. Which is not the name of the hymn. It's the first line of the hymn. What's the name of the hymn? 
A song to be sung upon the anniversary of one's conversion. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's that not did, as catchy. No, it's not as catchy, but that was the title that Charles gave to it. I, we just sang Oh, For A Thousand Tongues. Next time, I'm going to come back and check this to make sure I say it just right mm-hmm. before we sing it. Because when you think about the song, what the song is really, it's, it's a reflection upon the fact that if only I had a thousand languages, a thousand tongues, a thousand mouths to be able to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the wonders of his grace. And he goes through the greatness of salvation. It's really a, one who comes to Christ looking back at his life mm-hmm. and seeing the number of God touches. Mm-hmm and how he can then give glory and honor and praise to God. So it really is a song to be sung upon the anniversary of one's conversion to reflect back on the goodness of God. Very cool. That's very different from my experience with the Free Methodist Church, where I went and had my first altar call at at, uh, a power team concert that was playing striper rock music. And I had gone there with my good buddy who went to the Free Methodist Church and his father, who's one of the directors at the camp. And, uh, yeah, that was... uh, a little bit, little bit removed from the music of Charles Wesley, but it was, uh, it was a pretty powerful time. John Jacobs Port. is so awesome. <laughs> Important experience to and me. And Striper is so awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, can you tell us a bit about, um, or do you have something, Tom? No, no, go right ahead. Uh, would you two please uh, uh, fill us in on what Perspectives is all about? What, what is this opportunity that's coming our way? So Perspectives uh, is actually in 2024, will celebrate its 50th year of existence. So it started out in California uh, as the Summer Institute for World, for uh, Summer Institute of Mission. And it has developed since that time. Uh, there are tens of thousands of uh, alumni throughout the U.S. It, for the most part, for the, of those 50 years, it has been exclusively held in the U.S. Okay. We're beginning to branch out now. The Technical title of the of the course now is Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And what it is, it's really looking at the world Christian movement or what we would know as the church, although it doesn't focus on denomination, it focuses upon the world Christian movement. Mm. Because in some places, you know, church has a very negative connotation. Sure. So it's looking at how God has worked. And it's called Perspectives because it deals with the perspectives that we look at it. Okay. So the course takes a look at the world Christian movement from four, four perspectives. The first is a biblical perspective. And we spend, out of the 15 lessons, the first five, I believe, uh, are spent on the, on the biblical perspective. The second perspective is a cultural perspective. No, sorry, a historical perspective. Okay. Where we look at the world Christian movement and how it has developed down through the ages to what we, we spend a little bit of time on early, but a lot of it is the later development of the Christian church. An interesting fact that's brought out during the course, not to give any spoilers here. <laughs> Just give them a taste, then they got to come back for more. That's right. Uh, is that what we know as modern world missions really developed with William Carey less than 150 years ago. Really? The majority of what we know as world missions is a very recent development. Huh. Before the time of John Kerry, when we have now there have or William Kerry? William Kerry. No, yeah, William Kerry. I'm sorry, I keep getting him confused. Um, William Kerry. Before that time, really and the argument that was made to him when he presented the idea that we need to go to the world was that if God wants to save the heathen nations, he certainly is able to without your help. 
There was no need to go over to other countries. We just need to concentrate here. That's what we do. And he said, no, we cannot. And so he wrote this wonderful book, which has the longest title in the history of the world, which the short term of it is um, a, treatise up, a treatise upon the use of means for the effective reaching of the unreached. And then it goes on for two more sentences. <laughs> but he wanted to go Can into Can I find book. that on Amazon? And yes, we'll take a couple pages down. It's, it, it's a three pages just to do the title. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. <laughs> And so we look at the historical, what has especially more recently developments within the past 150 years, what does that look like? We then take a look at a cultural perspective. What does the gospel look like in culture? And especially when we take a look at how does it spread throughout culture? Okay. Because we're used to Western culture. Mm -hmm. We're very individualistic. When we get into more uh, different cultures, more Eastern cultures, more Oriental cultures, you find that oftentimes group culture Group, right. we would call it. Right. Where when the head of a tribe comes to faith, the tribe now becomes whatever that is. Right. How does that work? And how is that different from what we experience? The last section is the strategic section. And we take a look at, okay, what actually now, what do we do from here? Mm-hmm. What I hear most often from students, I've been taking this course since uh, 2003. And in dealing with students, the thing that I hear the most common common is, why have I never heard this before? Right, right. Why have I not heard of that all of this started with God and Abram, Abram when he said that I will make you a blessing to all the nations. I'll bless you and make you a blessing. Mm-hmm. Through that blessing came Christ. That's been the plan of God since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And God's on one mission. He always has been. He's not calling us two missions He's calling us to be on mission with him. Sure. What is your part? And there are multiple parts that we all play. Mm-hmm. If everyone was a missionary, then there'd be no one here. Mm-hmm. There'd be no one to support. Mm-hmm. If everyone was a missionary, there would be no one to mobilize. If everyone was a missionary, there would be no one to pray. Mm-hmm. If everyone was a missionary, there would be no one to send. We all have a, vision, a, a, a role to play in God's mission. And what does that look like? So it really is an exploration not only of the World Christian Movement through those four perspectives, but then for a student to be able to reflect upon, what is my part? Right, right. And uh, I will be honest with you, when we did this course this year, we pulled it together. Uh, I'm the co-coordinator. I pulled it together with the coordinator, and we began sitting down going through a list of people that we wanted to work with. We realized that all that we wanted to work with are on the field. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had taken the course in 2019 or 2017 or 2015, and the majority of those that we said, they are so good. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're, they're, okay, yep. Oh, yeah, they just left. Okay, yep. <laughs> okay, this is getting difficult. And then even some of the people that we got for this year to work on a coordinating team said, well, I can work with you this time, but this time next year I'm going to be on the field. Right. Like, <sighs> okay. So I'm not saying... Um, Many years ago, uh, Scott Wesley Brown, the musician, the artist, artist, put out a song called "Please Don't Send Me to Africa." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love that song. I identify with that song. Mm-hmm. Please don't send me to Africa. I, I, South Dakota's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Sarah's not on today. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, was Iowa be better? Oh yeah. I, you know what Iowa stands for, don't you? You live there. I auto went around. 
I'm from Minnesota. We 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 kid. We kid. Yes. yes. <laughs> I had I served a um, congregation in, in the Twin Cities, and we went on a mission trip to Cherokee, North Carolina. And the only other church, along with the church I was serving, uh, were kids from Iowa. And the the ribs back and forth mm-hmm. were just delicious. And uh, <laughs> that one stayed with me because I thought it was pretty clever. I, I can't repeat some of the things they said about St. Paul, Minnesota, but you know, <laughs> fair is fair. I know all of them. Paybacks. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the upcoming um, perspectives course that's going to be here in, in Fargo-Moorhead. So the course this year, uh, we try to do these every two years because of COVID, we had to go one extra year. So normally this would be, had been the 2019-2021 course. Um, this year it's going to be held, uh, we'll be starting on September 28th, will be our first class. Uh, August, August 28th, yeah. August 28th, uh, there we go. So August uh, 21st is going to be our orientation. For those of you who do register, we recommend that you come to that, uh, to that uh, orientation. Classes will begin August 28th and then go run through December 11th. 11th. Okay. So uh, the lesson one is going to be the week before Labor Day. We're going to take Labor Day off. And then lesson two is going to be on September 11th. So is it um, how many classes, like like class time are we talking about? 15. 15 classes within that time frame between yep. August and December. Okay, yep. so that's basically like a class a week? One class a week. The classes okay. are going to be held this year. We let the host site choose what they would like to work with. And this year we're working with River City Church, which is downtown Fargo yep. on 4th Street in Maine, mm-hmm. right on the corner. And they are wanting to do their course uh, from 2 until 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. Okay. And so um, if folks are interested in getting signed up they, and they want to, you know, they're not – it sounds intriguing. They're not entirely convinced, but they, they just may want to sign up just because it sounds exciting uh, or something that they want to check out. Can they find out more information at perspectives.org as well as sign up for the course there? The best thing to do is go to perspectives.org forward slash Fargo Moorhead. Okay. one word. That'll take you right to our class page. Um, the first two weeks, August 28th and September 11th, are free. We make them free to the public so anyone can come in. You can check it out. Uh, realize that there's three levels that you can take the course at. You can take it at what we call um, key reading, which really is kind of like auditing the class. Mm-hmm. You get the books, you get the uh, workbook, and then you can you do some of the readings, you attend the classes, and you say, hey, that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You take it at certificate level, that's the next level. That one actually you have a scheduled homework that you have to turn in every week, and you will have then a project at the end of the year. Okay. Both key reading and certificate cost $220, and then you'll need to buy your books, which uh, they're, instead of us ordering the books and you come and get them, you order your own books now, and you'll get a discount code. I believe it runs just shy of $30 for the, the book, mm-hmm. and I see that you have a copy of that front in front of you. Yep. Uh, it's a very large reader, uh, 1,300 pages. I was going to say it's, it's, it's Bible thick, so yes. it's a lot of info. And then if you take it at credit, you can take it for undergraduate or graduate credit. That was my next question. If this is accredited. Yep. Then that okay. will run you uh, $575. Okay. And that is going to be the entire book. Okay. So certificate is about half. Key reading is about a quarter. 
Okay. So it is a lot of work. I typically grade the credit students, and they all tell me that it is the most difficult two-credit course they ever went through. Wow. But mm. but it, uh, what I don't hear you saying is is difficult as in don't do it. It's difficult, but it's rewarding at the same time. It is a tremendous amount, even for the certificate level. Uh, my wife took it for the first time in 2019. It's a couple of hours of reading a week. Yeah. So if you're just going to sit down and read it, at, and, and it's, it's done by a number of authors uh, across, the, uh, across the perspective of, uh, uh, of faith. Yep. So it doesn't, it's not just this is the indoctrination of one particular view. You're going to find authors that disagree with each other. Mm-hmm. But sure. we're discussing what this world Christian movement is. We're discussing what the Bible meant by this. We're discussing culturally what this means. And uh, so it, it's challenging reading. Uh, the exams, most of them are, you know, your true, false, or your multiple choice, but there's always going to be a couple of ones where you have to provide some sort of reflection. Okay. So okay. there's going to be an active engagement. And then each student who takes it at certificate level or above is assigned a greater mentor. They're going to be grading those individual tests every week and then also providing some sort of feedback to them because a lot of times, again, people come to, oh, I've never heard this before. What do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And how do I then put that into practice? By the time you come to your final project at the end of the year, you're putting everything into kind of an inter- what we call an integrative project. We're integrating the course into your life. Mm-hmm. And there are four different uh, projects that you can do. And it's just a way to practically put all that you've learned into practice. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, and Tom, did you already go through this course or you you uh, just read through the book? You were, you were sharing with me just... it. You've been in the field. You've done public ministry in in the pair setting for a, a couple of years. I'm not going to say uh, yeah. how many, but but you're 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 a veteran. You're seasoned, um, and you were sharing with me about just just the insights coming out. Of this pr- perspectives course was just uh, enlightening to you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually embarrassed to say that I had never heard of perspectives. Until I started hanging around my Wimple friends. Yeah. And well, I'm not embarrassed to say it. I'm just uh, willing to admit that that I'm ignorant. So uh, <laughs> this has been great for me to hear. Yeah. So I uh, I, I was exposed to uh, perspectives through World Mission Prayer League, who, uh, and the Prayer League happens to be official um, partners with perspectives. And and it's too bad Mark's not here, but perspectives comes out of um, Frontiers and. Um, another mission agency, and um, I was asked by Wimple um, to help promote this perspective course in Mm Fargo-Moorhead, and I said, you know, I feel a little bit um, ill-equipped because I've never taken the course, Mm -hmm. so I am registered. I will be um, sitting in class uh, for those 15 weeks, and I'm really looking forward to it because I have perused the materials, and they are rich. And as Michael said, you know, we are going to see some differences of opinions, uh, but that's all healthy because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, uh, And it's all for the glory of God and participating in God's mission wherever you are. Yeah, yeah. If I can make an additional plug. Of course. On uh, September 11th will be the second class. We'll be having Len Barlotti come in. And the day before on September 10th, and there'll be more information coming out about this, but we're going to be having, uh, he actually, when Len comes in, he wants to do a seminar 
on making disciples in a dangerous world. Mm, yep. Talking about that whole idea of, um, and we were just talking to a, a family this weekend that their their uh, daughter had decided that she wanted to go. She was uh, they adopted her from China. She decided she wanted to go back mm. as a missionary. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "I know this is what God's call is for me." Wow. And they said, "You know that." since you were adopted out of there, the possibility that you may not come back is real. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, basically, is Jesus worth it? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that we want to address, is what does it take to make disciples in a dangerous world, and is it worth it? Wow. So yeah. we'll be having Len as well as a bunch of other uh, people, and there'll be more details about that coming out. Nothing's been... And that'll be on September 10th, 10th. I think, at yeah. Salem. Saturday. At Salem. It'll be an all-day event. Mm-hmm. Uh, the morning's going to start out with an invitation to a... Uh, a luncheon with pastors. So that'll be for, for clergy only. We'll be providing a lunch and then kind of discussing what this issue is going to be. And then the rest of the day will be spent with various speakers and roundtables looking at the issue of what does it take? And really, is it worth it to make disciples in a dangerous world? Yeah. And of course, we already know from Jesus what the answer is that. Right. Be. I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, it's, I, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I've spoken, uh, I do a bunch of stuff around town with various churches. And I'd said, you know, the, what we know is the great commission really isn't the great commission. Right. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me and I'm with you. Therefore go. Yeah. It's not go do your best effort and I'll see you at home. So a couple of weeks ago, our, our, our senior pastor, um, uh, Paul cross pointed this out that in the great commission, Everyone thinks that the commission is to make disciples. That's not what it is. It's to go. That's it. Uh, God's doing the rest of the work. You're just to go. You're, you're to be, be a uh, message boy or a message girl. Um, if I uh, really appreciate you coming on, sharing uh, yeah, about I just, perspectives. I, I, I did want to mention one thing that, uh, Michael, could you uh, speak a little bit on, Len is coming for the second one, but we have 15 presenters Mm-hmm. coming from around the nation. Yep, we've, we're going to have about, I think, five are local. or well, I think three are local from the Fargo-Moorhead area. We've got another half dozen who are coming from um, the Minneapolis Twin Cities area, and then the rest are going to be coming from around the nation. So these are not just, you're not going to be hearing me for 15 weeks. These are people <laughs> who, are, who, are, who are experts in their field who have, for many of them, spent years and years and years either mobilizing or going or sending. And, and from their experience, we're able to gain a rich look at what does the Absolutely. kingdom of God look like and what is this. So it's, you know, they don't add anything to the material. The, the textbook itself is actually is twice as many times as it's used in perspectives classes. It's used as textbooks in colleges for their missions courses. Cool. So you will, you will gain a tremendous amount by simply reading mm-hmm. what you will gain from the, the lectures is from the people that actually bringing their experience of how they have put these various uh, various ideas that we'll be discussing into practice. So we tend to pull a little little more heavy uh, locally here for the biblical, although the first two speakers are we always try to get top top line people the first two weeks, and so we've got two two fantastic guys coming in the first two weeks. The, the other three, are that's when our local, local guys speak. After that, we've got people who are experts in their field who are coming in to address these issues. So even if you didn't do all the reading, 
and you just took it a key reading and all you got to hear was the speakers, you would gain a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. If you took the course engaged all the way, uh, you gain so much more. Mm-hmm. It is uh, so many times, again, a, a common phrase here about middle, midway through the course is, this is like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much. It's so rich. It's so good. Yeah. That's not the first time I've heard that. I heard uh, Tom say the same thing. Uh, well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing perspectives with us. I want to make a little bit of a transition as we're coming to the end of our time. So, Can I say one last thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Uh, there are three days left. August 1st is the end of our deadline for our $25 Odebridge discount. Okay. So okay. if people want to look at it, there's a $25 discount before April 1st, uh, August 1st. There's also uh, couples discounts, and a lot of churches are doing scholarships. Well, and spoiler alert, if you are listening to this, you have missed the early bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> then, then we really look at maybe a church that's happened to be hosting this podcast might want to think about the idea of doing a uh, scholarship. scholarship. Uh, yeah. Not that I would recommend that publicly. Well, I've never heard of this podcast, but this is that podcast at Atonement. So, so. that podcast might be able to talk about that. <laughs> well, as a little bit of a segue and for a little bit of fun, um, along with what everything that you have shared, it's interesting about talking about uh, perspectives of sharing the gospel in a dangerous world. We've been having conversations in our worship uh, uh, um Confronting Christianity with hard questions, kind of, kind of learning, you know, the theological discipline of apologetics. And a talk that we had a bit uh, ago with our high school was on worldviews. And so we're going to change things up for just a second. Welcome to DJ's House of Theological Nitwittery. <laughs> And uh, if it's all right, I have a question to ask all three of you. There are no right or wrong answers, but how would you respond to these questions, especially for a young person? And if you can tie it up in a brilliant, pithy sentence or two uh, to make it even more of a challenge. Should I go get my pith helmet? (laughs) (laughs) No, but we better get a picture for that and and add that to this this podcast. I'm going to ask you uh, more of a philosophical question. And I'll try to pick one. Which one do you think, Dana? Why don't you look through real quick? And mm. what would be a good question to ask the group, rather than the last one? Rather than the last rather one? Rather than the last one. What do you think? All these questions are tied into how um, the current zeitgeist or the current spirit of, our, of, of Western culture, primarily in the United States, um, thinks through... Um, big issues and comes to different conclusions on them. And from a Christian perspective, it's necessarily and obviously going to start from a different point. And so the worldview expressed is is most likely going to be different. Well, five reminds me of our uh, VBS last night. Should we do that one? So. So the question is, what is authoritative to you? And a follow-up to that is, do your own thoughts and feelings have authority over how you live your life? And I'm going to put Tom on, on the spot if he's willing to... What, what's your first reaction to that? What is authoritative to you? What would be authoritative to me is uh, the Word of God. The Word of God. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. That would be authoritative. And what was the second part? 
Do your thoughts and feelings have authority over how you live your life? Yes. They, what you think and what you feel. Right. Yes, they do, unfortunately. And unfortunately. we need to take all those thoughts captive to Christ. Um, because left to our own authority, uh, it's like I, I tell everybody, I've been a pastor all of these years, and I say, do not follow me. Mm-hmm. Follow Jesus. You follow me, you'll wind up in the ditch. <laughs> My job is to point you yeah. uh, to the one who has all authority. Reminds me of Luther talking about the long bony finger of John the Baptist yeah, pointing yeah, away from himself beautiful. saying, Behold the Lamb of God Absolutely. who takes away the sins of the world. Wonderful. Janine, do you want to answer? What is authoritative to you? Um. I would have to agree that, yes, the Word of God is uh, authoritative to me because he's proven himself to me in that way. As yeah. as growing up as a farm girl, um, seeing the hand of God in nature all around and understanding that he made humans. And the Creator has a right to say a lot about what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's and funny so, how that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, and he has kind of like the best plan. Yeah, it you seems know, to work out well that way too. Yeah, you know? my when I was it's trying like the to, owner's manual. Yeah, yeah, bucking bucking his rules was not being. It wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So yeah, so I found that in complying with the uh, the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. And became kind of like living in a fish tank. Yes, there was rules. There was boundaries. But within there, within Christ, there's so much freedom. Uh, Amen. So much way, so many ways to be uh, unique and creative and reflect the God who created us. Beautiful, beautiful. The second part of the question is: Do your own thoughts and feelings have authority over how you live your life? Once again, I have to admit, yes. First reaction, usually yes. But the secondary is, oh, but what does my Jesus want? What yeah, would he want yeah, me yeah. to do? And to learn to check those at the door or listen for the Holy Spirit's direction. What rises up? Is that a good gut feeling or is that no, 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 no? And uh, check it with the word of God and you're, you know, go on the Rolodex of, okay, the commandments and yeah. <laughs> checking with those things. And w- w- what would Jesus do is honestly a very good question. But then, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah making those hard choices of denying myself. To live for Christ. Yeah. You know, it's funny the way you put that because it got me thinking that um, as I've uh, grown older, um, I've discovered how much I lie to myself. (laughs) 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 My thoughts and my feelings are not a good authority to trust because they're full of it. Um, And yeah, that's that's something I've I've learned on my own. Um, All right. uh, Let's see. Michael, same question to you. Uh, what is authoritative to you? So I'm going to take up a little bit different tack on this because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take one step back and say I'm going to answer that actual question because my mother was an English teacher. What is authoritative in your life? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. What is authoritative? What does authoritative mean in your life? See, mm. see, now you're showing wisdom by asking a question. Uh, <laughs> answering to a question. Answering a question with a question. Um, because for yeah. so many of us, I think, the idea of authoritative has levels. Okay. 
you know, when we deal with a, a, you know, young, young, a younger culture, uh, authoritative, depending if young enough, authoritative can mean parental. Mm-hmm. Yep. Authoritative True. can mean school related. Authoritative can mean as we get older, uh, as we look at things in, uh, in whether it's work or in society, what is authoritative? And for so many, they don't want the idea of authoritative. Authoritative is I. Sure. Yeah. So the first fundamental question we have to ask, and I think everyone here had a great answer, but it assumed what authoritative meant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the first question that I think all of us have to answer, is what is authoritative in my life? And how would you answer that? So as I look at authoritative... Which, or what is authority to you? So authority, in that sense, would be that which has bearing over me, that which I have to... Uh, uh, be able to give some sort of obedience to. Okay. And there are several levels of that, but ultimately everything will come down to everything but must bow its knee to, uh, to God, mm-hmm. which means that's going to be both by his Holy Spirit and as well as by his word, mm-hmm. as well as by his voice speaking to us on a daily basis, which happens a thousand times a day, mm-hmm. many of us call conscience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as the church. So those together, and that really makes up the Wesleyan quadrilateral, since I'm going to make a pitch here. Oh, very nice. <laughs> you know, scripture, experience, reason, and tradition. Sure. These, this is what makes up what we have an understanding. Those are what would be authoritative as far as the highest level of authority. Okay. And to add to that, um, do your own thoughts and your own feelings have authority over how you live your life? You can be as honest as you want. <laughs> um, do they have authority? No. Good. Do they have an influence? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But an authority is an authority in that sense, just as in the first sense of the question itself, is a matter of will. Right. And do I allow my own thoughts and feelings to have authority? Now, do they have influence? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do they have authority in the sense of that quadrilateral of ideas? Yeah. Mm, wow. They do go into experience, but they are one of along the spectrum of authority. Yeah. And so in hearing the question, do you see where this current generation would find authority in how to live their life based on what they think and what they feel more so than um, an authority that's outside of themselves. That is the only authority is themselves because they've never known anything else. Right. They have always known that I am independent, that I am sovereign, right? That I have the ability to make my own call and at my choosing, I will submit to this or to that, but it's my call to make. Mm -hmm. And, uh, relativism really takes over. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, parents don't have the authority that they had. We all we all hearken back to a day when... Back in the good old days, back right? Back in the good old days, <laughs> when something meant something. Uh, today, even, even words don't mean things. Sure. We say words all the time that really don't have any meaning. We use love and we use hate um, very flippantly. Mm-hmm. They don't have any grounding in truth anymore and even the whole idea of asking what is truth well that's completely subjective it, it, it's the 
old question that's always new, isn't it? Isn't that what mm-hmm. Pilate asked Jesus? What is truth? What is truth? And today, the answer typically comes down to there is my truth. Sure. There is no objective standard. And that's really where we lose. That's where all of society breaks down. Mm-hmm. We don't understand that this is good, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the fundamental breakdown. That's why the first question that we have to answer is, what is authoritative in my life? What am I willing to submit to? What am I willing outside of myself? And the, and the gnawing question that I think if for every person of a, of a younger generation, because, well, two of us in this room have gray hairs to prove that we're not as young as we used to be. Oh, I have gray. They're just right along oh, the side. They're hidden. Okay. Yeah. You've got a couple of decades to go to pick up to us, I think, though. <laughs> but the essential question to them and what gnaws at them all the time is, is there something beyond me? Sure. There has to be. And do I want to... Ask that question. Every time you go to a funeral, every time you read an obituary, you're faced with, there's something beyond me, and how long can I ignore that? Exactly right. I mean, regardless of what you consider to be authoritative in your life, there is a, a desire and a long... Well, let's just put it this way. If, if the authority in your life is not um, a loving, caring um, creator who actually is concerned about your life and your neighbor's life, uh, you will make something else your authority to justify um, your own perceived sovereignty over your existence. Because mm-hmm. we're all denying the reality of death um, and, and seeking to uh, be self-celebrating uh, God wannabes. Mm-hmm. What I call, um, uh, actually what... Uh, uh my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers called amateur providences. There you go. We all want to be an amateur providence. We all want our turn <laughs> at being able to rule the universe. And yet, it's an old, 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 old phrase, but there are no atheists in foxholes. Sure. Every single person who was claimed to be an atheist, when, when everything hits the fan, they pray. Right. Because they know there's something beyond me. Right. When you, when you taste desperate. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming on and being a part of that podcast today. Uh, For those of you who are looking for a place to worship, um, uh, Atonement Church has worship two times on Sunday morning on-site, but we're always online. Uh, Our worship times are 9 and 10.30. Our tradition service is at 9 o'clock. Our modern service is at 10.30. But you can always join us at atonement.live during those worship times or on YouTube. Um, But our YouTube uh, content, our That Podcast episodes are all on um, YouTube. Please like and subscribe. Isn't that what the the kids say these days? Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Mash that like button. I sound so old, don't I, don't I? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, And um, along with that, you can find that podcast wherever podcasts are played, uh, whether that's Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, uh, Chromecast, any others that I'm missing here? Um, All the rest of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dana looks at me sometimes like, I can't believe you just said that. You are so ancient. I just get to sit here and push buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Can I pick you up on my TV antenna? <laughs> I don't know if we do that one. Okay. And so on behalf of Dana Mashevsky, Reverend Michael and Janine Anderson, and Reverend Tom Olson, I am Pastor DJ Lura, and thank you for joining us for another monumental episode of yeah. That Podcast.